Well, good morning, Cross Church. Oh, I love, that's the thing about first service, so much enthusiasm. I love it. I love it. This is great. So uh, today, Pastor Ellen is away. And um, by the way, for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Andrew Thunder. I've had the privilege of serving here as an executive pastor for a number of years, and I'm pleased to be here today to continue on with our message series. Um, And if you're, maybe you haven't been here for the past few weeks, we are going through a series called Cross Church Goes Fishing. And I'm really, I'm really excited to, that we're, as a church, we're going through this series because evangelism is such an important part of what the Christian walk is. To be able to not just uh, be influenced by the gospel, but to become influencers uh, uh, among our communities and, and, and also to share that good news to others. But as we're, as we're talking about fishing... Here's our title here. As we're talking about fishing, I'm reminded of uh, when I was about seven, year old, seven years old, I, I was fishing probably for the first time. My family took me out and we brought our, our, our tackle, our rods, our, all of our fishing gear. And it was my dad, he took us, took us out as a family to go fishing. And we went out with such great enthusiasm, right? This is the first time we ever fished, and I was I personally was excited because this was going to be the first time that I caught a real live fish. So I was, I, I was, I was stoked, right? So going in as a, a seven-year-old, and my, my dad was there with, with us, and he, he showed us uh, exactly what to do, uh, how to set up our, our, our lures, as well as uh, how, how to set up um, our fishing rods and, and get ready to go. He showed us some good spots of, of where to cast. So we did it. And we took turns. We passed around the, the, the different rods that we had. And, and I remember casting. And I was, I was really excited. I, I knew I was going to catch something, right? So I remember casting. And uh, there was nothing at first, so I reeled it in. And I tried again. Casted my line. Nothing. Okay, I'll try again. Casted my line, and you know what? There was something. I, I, I felt a bite. So what I did is I, I, was, I was so thrilled about this, I, I started to, to reel in. I look at the, the end of my lure. It was just a, a bunch of seaweed. So I, I, was, I wasn't too happy about that. I, I tried, we, we probably tried, I tried for the rest of the evening uh, to, to, to catch fish. Same thing happened over, over and over again. It's either nothing was on the, on the end or it was just a bunch of seaweed or I caught a bunch of snags. So I was very discouraged at that point, extremely discouraged. And it was to the point where I thought to myself, maybe, maybe there's not even any fish in the water here. And I even, I even told myself, you know, this, it, it's not even, even worth it anymore. So... That was probably my last time fishing in, in, in a long, long time at that point. And I just gave it up. I, I got discouraged. I, I just gave it up. Fifteen years later, fast forward, I was serving at a church in uh, Kenora, Ontario. And I was the associate pastor there. And I had a nice house that I was living on right in front of the lake. And my brother-in-law, he's really into fishing, and he says, hey, you live in Kenora. Why aren't you fishing? 
I said, okay, okay, I, I gave in. We decided to go ahead and go fishing. I wasn't too enthusiastic about it. I remember what happened last time, 15 years ago. We go out. I cast. Nothing. And I looked at him. I was like, I said, same thing. I know, I know exactly what's going to happen. We're not going to catch it. And I tried again. And there was a there was a bite. I pull it in, started reeling it in, thinking it was a bunch of seaweed. And there were splashes at the end of my lure. And I remember reeling it in and seeing an actual fish at the end of my line. And I, I looked at my brother-in-law. At that moment, I became that seven-year-old child again. And I, with wide eyes, I said, look, a real live fish. And the guy, <laughs> my brother-in-law looks at me and like, yeah, that's, that's the point. <laughs> But, but for me, the, that was an incredible experience, and I just remember just feeling so, uh, so thrilled to be able to catch uh, my first fish in, in, well, probably one of my, my first time catching a fish in my life. And so the title of this message today is called Learning to Fish. So after that experience, obviously, I became a little bit more enthusiastic, and I had more experiences where I was able to, to go fishing. And I, I just found I really enjoy it. So this message, uh, learning to fish, for all those who, uh, who call on the name of Jesus, we are given the instruction to evangelize. It's, it's, it's a very important part of our walk with God. We go fishing for people, as, as the Bible calls it. But the thing is, Many of us, we've tried evangelizing at one point in our lives, and, and some of you may be feeling a little bit of the way that I was feeling uh, during my first experience. Like I, I tried sharing the message, didn't go over too well. I tried multiple times. I haven't been very effective with evangelism. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a back seat here. I'm going to let the pr professionals do the work. I'm going to let Pastor Allen or, or Pastor Chris or some of the other staff, I'm, I'm going to let them do the work, and I'm just going to be a spectator for a little while. So having that discouragement, the, real, the reality is, is that you don't have to have that discouragement. We are called by God not to take that back seat and become spectators, but we are meant to actively become evangelizers of the gospel. The gospel isn't just for ourselves, it's for each and every one of us to share to all the unbelievers that we, we um, come into contact with. So the question is, it's how. So we're going we're gonna to read this scripture here. Mark 1, 15. And it says, The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And then we continue on. And this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, just after John the Baptist. And so one day as Jesus was walking along the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water. For they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. 
So this is the question that we're asking today. How do we become effective fishers of people? How do we increase our, our effectiveness? And, and that's the thing. When, when we try and we fail and it doesn't work, how do we regain our confidence and, and become effective once again? I put together this little uh, equation here. How do, how do we become effective evangelists? So effective evangelism equals uh, following Jesus over uh, your reliance on yourself. So the more you increase the, the, top, the top portion here, the numerator, following Jesus, the more that we're able to follow Jesus and, and follow his approach to evangelism, the more effective we're going to be, the more reliant we are on ourselves. It's, uh, it's not going to go over too well. And oftentimes that's, that's the case, is we, we try to do, do things our own way, and we fall flat on our face. And, you know, in the case of me, um, you know, going and, and, um, and fishing on my first experience, maybe I was doing something wrong, and I needed to, to become more dependent on some of the professional fishers, right? And, and in this case, the more that we follow Jesus, the expert fishermen, the more we are able to become be better fishers of men. So we're going to go through a, a few ways that we can... Um, be better, better fishermen in different ways that we can, uh, by following Jesus, uh, increase our effectiveness. So the first way is follow Jesus to better understand his work of salvation. So when we're evangelizing, when we're, we're sharing the good news of the gospel, what we're doing is we're becoming an active part of this work of salvation. But before we get involved with it, we have to understand a, a little bit better about how it works. So this is what we're going to look at today. So right from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus spoke of the reason for his ministry. So in that, this verse, once again, Mark 1.15, The time promised by God has come at last, he announced, The kingdom of God is near. He said, the kingdom of God is near. The reality is, is that you and I become part of this kingdom. We become part of his kingdom if you follow Jesus. It's when you follow Jesus that you accept his authority and knowledge, acknowledge him as, as your king. You see, when, when the, the, the first followers, um, so Andrew and Simon, when they were casting their nets, there's this interesting scene where they're, 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 they're working for a living, casting their nets to catch fish so that they can make ends meet. And then this figure approaches them. They don't necessarily know. The Bible doesn't make it clear that they exactly knew who he was or where he came from. But he says, come with me. What, what do you say? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And when he was talking about this, this verse, the kingdom of God is near, at the very beginning of his ministry when he mentioned this, the kingdom of God is near. The original listeners are these disciples, these first disciples, they understood that if a new kingdom was coming, that implied that they had to submit. And they recognized that just through their observance or being, being influenced by the Roman Empire at the time, 
If there was a new kingdom, if there was a kingdom, it meant that they needed to be obedient to the new order of that particular new king. And so they were ready to make that, that decision. And they were ready to position themselves of obedience. So I appreciate the, the message that we went through last week as Pastor Allen went through the importance of obedience um, in following Christ. Believe in the good news. You, th- you see, the thing is, um, there, are two, there are two aspects of salvation that really ends up causing us to be ineffective as, as evangelis- evangelists. And what happens is, if we forget these two presuppositions in evangelizing, then we end up uh, forgetting that there is an important hurdle that we need to cross. So I'll explain a little bit more about that. So the two presuppositions of when we're, when we're sharing the gospel, uh, it has to do with anthropology as well as Christology. So for anthropology, it's, we're talking about the study of humanity or the, the, the understanding the state of humanity. And then for Christology, we're talking about the study of Christ, the saving work of Jesus. So what a lot of people don't realize or don't understand is that um, when, when we share the gospel... What we're doing is we're actually combating against ideologies of this world, and many of them are opposed to the truth that's presented in the gospel, right? And so everyone has these different ideas of how we originally, how we originally existed and what our human condition is now, and everyone has different ideas of who Jesus is, right? But the problem is it's in order for someone to receive the gospel, to accept it for their own lives, they have to come to grips with two realities that's presented in Scripture. And and these are as follows. Number one, for anthropology, we are in a fallen state. All of us, ever since sin entered the world, it it separated us from God. You and I have, have been passed down this sin Generation from generation to generation since Adam. And we are, we now have this sin in our lives that separates us from God. We are fallen. And then we look to Christology. Christology, And the truth here is that the saving work of Jesus, through Jesus Christ, we can now have this freedom of sin. We can now have this, this separation that occurred. We can now fill this gap. So no longer do we have to be fallen. No longer do we have to carry this sin that separates us from God. Jesus himself has bridged this gap, and he allowed us to have this e- eternal relationship with him where we can look forward, not just to this abundant life here on earth, but a new life in heaven. So these are the two things that we have to consider uh, going right to the basics uh, when we are evangelizing. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, when Jesus was, was um, calling Simon and Andrew on that day, 
Generally, people didn't say, generally prophets didn't say, come, follow me. In those days, uh, and, and, and for the prophets who, who, were, um, who were before, prophets would always point to God. They wouldn't point to themselves. They would point to God by directing people's attention to the Torah and the teachings of the Torah and kind of focusing in on that. So prophets, godly prophets, would, would never point uh, straight to themselves. But here is, here's an interesting scenario where this person who appears to be a prophet is, tell, is asking them to follow him. You see, this at this very moment, Jesus wasn't just, um, he wasn't just at looking for disciples, but what he was doing is he was revealing himself as Lord. He was revealing that Jesus, the Son of God, had entered into the world and he was summoning them. And at that very moment, the Bible doesn't talk too much about why they so quickly chose, this, this, uh, chose to drop their nets and follow him. But they, the reality is, is that they did. They dropped everything that they were doing and they looked to Jesus and they, they decided to put their faith in him, leave, leaving their, uh, their occupations behind. This verse here, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is an important aspect of understanding salvation and how, how salvation works. A lot of us think we put all the responsibility on ourselves, thinking that, you know, if, if I'm going to evangelize, if I'm going to bring someone, uh, bring someone into a rela- loving relationship with Jesus, I just need to, I need to do things right. I need to get all the, the check marks in place. I need to make sure I'm following all the instructions. I need to be very tactful in the way that I do it. And if I'm very good at evangelizing, then I am going to lead someone into a relationship with Jesus. But the reality is, is that that's not the truth of how salvation works. In fact, when you look at it, it's God who is leading people to himself. The Bible here says very clearly, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. So it's important for us to realize this because what happens is when we put all of the, this responsibility on ourselves, we forget the supernatural work that takes place. In a lot of cases, um, you know, the Bible speaks of uh, you know, certain people who are uh, sowing seeds and other people who are reaping the seeds. And what does that mean? It just means that uh, oftentimes when you and I are evangelizing, what we're doing is we are beginning the process in a certain individual's journey where people begin to, to think and, and start to, to consider some of the realities of the gospel. And then maybe somewhere down the road, someone else is going to actually uh, reap those benefits. So I've had many times in my life where I was a sower and other times where I was the one who was reaping. And I'll tell you a little story. When I was out in uh, Garden Hill one day ministering, and, and for those of you who don't know, Garden Hill is uh, a reservation that uh, is about an hour plane ride northeast of, of Winnipeg. And uh, we were out there ministering. I was just called up there to, um, to, to help out with some of the services. I was preaching at a, a weekend event. And they asked me to come and, and preach at the radio station. And um, as I sat down in front of that radio microphone, 
getting ready to, to prepare, I, I thought about where I was. And I began to think about the, the realities of, um, of some of the, uh, the, the evangelical work that was happening in that community. And I remember that my dad, for many years, he had come to this community and he was evangelizing. He was sharing the good news. He was doing a lot of the things that I was doing within that community. And I, I kept that in my heart and in my mind. And so as I, as I approached the microphone, as I began to address the different people of the community, um, I was given the opportunity to share the gospel message. So I did that right then and there. I preached a short sermon, and the people who were listening, the community members on the radio station, they were tuning in, and they were listening to everything that I was saying. When I was done the message, a phone call, a phone started to ring right in the, the radio station office, and I picked up the phone, and there was an individual who just finished listening to my message, and he said, he said to me, I haven't been living the way that I should be living. And he explained to me that, you know, he wants to give his life to Jesus. He said, all the things that I've done in the past, my, he mentioned his family. He said that he, 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 was, he was messing up with, um, with alcoholism and, and various other substance abuse uh, problems. And he's saying, no, he heard the message and he said, now is the time where I want to give my life to Jesus. Can someone give Jesus a hand? And the reality is, is and I didn't, I, didn't real, I didn't fully understand it at the time, but one of the reasons why he was tuning in on the first place is because of the work that my dad was doing uh, in the community years before, right? And so here's an example of someone who's sowing the seeds and then another person reaping. I'm not taking any credit for this man's salvation. My dad would never take the credit for this man's salvation. But through the Holy Spirit's work on earth, we see that God leads people into this journey where they first understand bits and pieces of the gospel. And then over time, they come to that point where they make that decision to put their faith in Jesus. And many, many people within your workplace are in, in various spots of this faith journey. Many people even in your family members, uh, maybe direct family members or indirect family members. There are people who need to come into that relationship with Jesus Christ. And what we need to do is we need to depend on the Holy Spirit and ask him for these opportunities to either sow seeds or to allow us to have that, um, that opportunity to actually lead them into that, uh, that beginning of the faith journey through, uh, through that um, step of faith. So the next, the next thing that we, we learn here from, from Jesus is we can follow Jesus to live out the gospel message. And to me, this is an extremely important aspect of, of evangelizing or sharing the gospel to other people. For Jesus, it wasn't, when he was sharing the gospel, the gospel message wasn't just information. But what it was, was it was his very life being on display for everyone to see so that they could understand through his actions what the gospel actually actually meant. So evangelism is not just you passing on information. It requires an inner 
transformation for the one who's sharing. So we look at the definition of, of, of a follower of Jesus. In the ancient world, a disciple or a follower or adherent of a teacher is what a disciple was. It's not the same as being like a student in the modern sense, uh, someone who's just sitting in the classroom, but a disciple in the ancient world, in the biblical world, it meant you were actively imitating both the life and the teaching of the master. So it was this deliberate attempt to become like the master. It was like you were becoming this, this copy, this photocopy of, of the master himself. So you don't merely become like Jesus when we, you and I become followers of God. But when we are disciples, we become this fully transformed child of God where we take on the very nature of God himself. And it is when we take on this nature that we become, uh, we become active, living examples of the gospel within our lives. The word of God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6, 33. He's our example, and you must follow in his steps. And that's 1 Peter 2, 21. We'll look at this passage, Mark 1, 16 to 18. One day as Jesus was walking along the seashore, he saw Simon and his brother, and Jesus called out to them. He said, come, follow me, and I will show you how. So here's Jesus explaining that. I'm not just going to explain to you how to become a follower or become an effective evangelist, but I am going to show you how it's done. And so the more that you and I are able to do that and to be able to see Jesus and, and spend our time in the, in the Word of God and understanding how Jesus evangelized, the more that you and I are able to become effective evangelists ourselves. And this is a very important um, quote that, um, that I came across from C.S. Lewis, one of the most uh, influential uh, um, theologians. He wouldn't re refer to himself as a theologian, but he was a Christian author that has influenced, uh, I would say, countless lives uh, throughout the past few centuries. He said, Find feelings... New insights, greater interest in religion mean nothing unless they make, out, they make our actual behavior better. Just as an illness or a feeling, a feeling of being better is not much good if the thermometer shows your temperature is still going up, in the same way, our outer world is quite right to judge Christianity by its results. Christ, Christ told us to judge by, the, by results, a tree is known by its fruit, or, as we say, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. When we Christians behave badly or fail to behave well, we are making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. And let, let the Spirit of God speak to you in this moment. When you and I take our faith journey seriously, when you and I uh, uh, take seriously this call to be like Jesus on a regular basis, when we take the, the seven habits of, of serious Christ followers seriously and we actually put them into action, what we're doing is we are, we are taking the most important step in evangelism. 
because we are becoming a reflection of Jesus himself. And now all the people who you influence, your family members, the people who are at work, the various people that you come into contact with, now they are seeing a better representation of Jesus. Now they're able to see clearly that the gospel message isn't just information. It's not just a a truth that is from ancient literature. Now it is something that is active. It's living. It is alive and well in the people who are now influenced by the gospel. Can someone say amen? Amen. So we see this here. So we understand this, and it's, it allows us to take this, um, take this faith walk, and it shows us the, this connection between the faith walk and evangelism. Marshall McLuhan, he said this, and this is something that really impacted. Um, it, it impacted all of our thinking throughout the, the, the various... Um, for over the past century. The phrase was introduced here, the medium is the message. It was introduced in the book Understanding Media, The Extension of Man. It's published in 1964. And McLuhan proposed that a medium itself, not the content it carries, should be the focus of study. He said that a medium affects the society in which it plays a role not only by the content delivered, but by the medium. It is the medium that influences the message. In the case of evangelism, what is the medium? It's you and I. The truth of the gospel is a message, but you and I, it's the way that we interact with the world around us that becomes the gospel message itself. The medium, you and I, are a living example of what the message should be. The third here, the final, is... Jesus shows us, following Jesus' readiness to take a step of faith. So this is the third way that we could become effective. Following Jesus' readiness to take a step of faith. So we look back at the, the scripture here, Mark 1, 16 to 18. He said, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And it says, and they left their nets at once, immediately, instantaneously. And we see throughout the life of Jesus himself, Jesus himself, every single moment of his ministry, he was ready to respond to the prompting of the Spirit. He was ready to move where he had to move, to go where he had to go, and to interact with the people he needed to interact with. And these disciples are becoming that reflection of Jesus himself. And they immediately, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, They left everything behind, and they were ready to follow Jesus. This is exactly what you and I need to do on a regular basis. And we have to understand that following Jesus and evangelizing is a very dynamic experience where we constantly are looking for these opportunities to go and follow Jesus and to to, to be led by him through these various opportunities that he, he brings us to. Following Jesus may not mean 
that you need to leave your jobs in the same way that that uh, the disciples did. They were leaving their very livelihood behind to follow Jesus. That may not mean uh, that you, not, you and I need to do that per se. It may, it may not. But what it does mean for sure is that you and I cannot remain in our comfort zone when it comes to evangelizing and spreading the work of the gospel. We cannot take a back seat and let other people do it. You and I need to be active members active participants in spreading the gospel to those around us. Leaving our comfort zone is very difficult at times. For those of you who may know, um, just recently, over the past two years, I was working on uh, my Master's of Business Administration at the University of Manitoba. And I remember the first day that I was, um, that I was enrolled in that program, we were put in this classroom of individuals where uh, we were getting, given an opportunity to introduce ourselves to everyone in the class. And, you know, there was a good maybe 30, 40, 50 professionals who uh, were deciding to take on this program. And everyone kind of took their turn standing up in front of the class and introducing themselves, explaining why they were there. Everyone came from different backgrounds, different, uh, different industries, and I stood up, and I thought, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to tell, I'm not going to hide why I'm here. I stood up in front of the, the whole class, the whole uh, lecture theater, and I said, I'm an executive pastor. And I said, I, that is my background. And the reason I'm here today is be, to become more effective in ministry to understand how, how the business world can, can interact with, uh, with, uh, with Christianity and, and the work of the gospel. And I, and I explained that to them, and I explained how, how within, our, uh, within our Christian circles, this is something that many pastors had wished, wished that they had, the experience that they wished they had. And I remember sharing that and sitting down and thinking to myself, oh, I wonder if I should have said that. And, uh, and then, you know, I'm sitting there by myself and everyone else is giving their introductions and they're talking about, you know, different professional industries. No one's touching religion, obviously. And, and everyone finished their introductions. And I thought to myself, oh, man, I, everyone's going to avoid me. Because then now I just mark myself as a Christian, not as a Christian, but as a pastor, and like everyone, everyone's gonna gonna think I'm you know holier than thou and everything like that, right? And they're gonna keep their distance. At the end of those introductions, when the session ended, someone approached me, and he said, "Hey, we should have a discussion on uh, we should have a discussion on uh, what was it?" Evolution. Let's talk about evolution sometime. I'm like, oh, that, that's, that's what I wanted. I wanted arguments on evolution, right? But, but then he continued, and he says, you know what? I'm, I'm actually a Christian myself. And he said, I, I wanted to have someone to talk to because I believe that we're here for a reason. And he said that we, we, need, to, we need to connect and continue to connect. Throughout the days, more people introduce themselves. There was a pastor, a pastor's son from the city, the Church of the Rock. He, they, they, one of his sons 
is in the, was in the program with me. I had no idea. All these people were, about 30% of the people I uh, calculated were believing, Bible-believing Christians. I would have never known unless I took that step of faith. And together, I believe we built a, a better community and we were able to show to other people the gospel message through our lives. But it was because we were able to be bold. And if I wasn't bold in that moment, I feel like I would have missed out on that opportunity, right? And so we must never be afraid of what we stand for. Even though there are people with, with opposing views and, and, and differing backgrounds, we don't have to be afraid or shy of why we believe what we believe. In closing, many of you have, have um, heard about this story. The Thailand cave rescue, everyone, it's, it's captured the, the attention of everyone um, throughout the world. On June 23, 12 boys went exploring in Thailand's uh, Chiang Rai province with their football coach and ended up trapped deep inside a cave underneath a mountain. <clears throat> this gripped the world's attention as the story reached international headlines. The boys were going and they were celebrating a birthday party and what they did is as part of the celebration they went deep within this cave to a, a very far point and 2.5 miles deep within it. And they went out and they got the, 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 the waters began to rise within the cave and they were trapped. What happened was they, we, there was a large problem on everyone's hand. They, when people realized that they were missing, they recognized that this was a very complex operation. So ex what, what happened was, and when everyone found out about this, experienced divers and volunteers from all over the world joined this rescue, uh, these rescue efforts. More than 90 divers were involved with this rescue. And in the process of attempting to get oxygen to uh, some of these individuals who were trapped. Uh, there was an experienced diver, uh, a, a Thai former Navy SEAL, uh, Samen Kunan. He died during an uh, overnight mission to place uh, oxygen canisters along the route. His own oxygen is believed to have run out, which starkly illustrates how dangerous any rescue involved in diving uh, would be in this situation. So. There were even people, uh, Navy field SEAL experts, who, who looked at this situation and said, this is a once-in-a-lifetime dive. The stakes are high. And many people across the world didn't know if this, it was even possible to rescue these individuals, right? And so tr this tragedy had taken place. Right now, uh, Saman Kanan is, is, is recognized as a hero for what he had done. But the operation continued. And uh, many of you know, know what had taken place. After 18, 18 days, the final four boys and their coach were rescued from the cave to complete the three-day rescue operation. They made it work. And it was extremely complex. They had to, they had to plan it out well in advance, and they had this small window of opportunity to do it, to make this happen. And now... After the operation, the, the boys are recovering in hospital. 
and they're, they're there right now. And so you see the smiles on their faces. Let me tell you, these divers who went in, so many of them are, some of them are going to receive some rewards and recognition. Some of them won't. But the truth, the reality is, the biggest reward that they are ever going to receive is to be able to look through this glass window where these boys are recovering and to see the faces of the ones that they were able to save. You and I, we need to recognize that there are people who are trapped in their ways. They're trapped deep within the caves of their misunderstanding. And if they don't make that decision to follow Christ, they will perish. Let the Spirit of God speak to you today. In this case, these were literal fishers of men, a reflection of what we need to do on the, on the, in the spiritual realm. We need to look with compassion on all the individuals who are stuck, and we need to find a way to lead them to Christ. We need to come together and figure out how we're going to make this operation work. At the end of the day, when you and I enter into the gates of heaven, we're going to be able to look into the face of those who we led to Christ. And the biggest reward that we're going to have is to be able to look into the face of those who he led to Jesus himself. That is the reward that we are seeking. That is the greatest reward that you and I can have for believers. So I'm just going to end with this question. Who will be in heaven because of you? Who will make it to heaven because of you? It's a question. It's not meant to inspire guilt or any sort of other feelings. It's meant to inspire us. We are a part of this incredible work of the gospel. God is the one who is leading people to, to, to Jesus himself. God is the one who is allowing people to enter into salvation. But we have this incredible opportunity to be a part of this work. So be inspired today and consider that. Who are you leading to Christ? Let's stand together as we pray. Father God, we want to say thank you for this opportunity to come and be a part of your workmanship, to lead others into a growing and a lasting and eternal relationship with you. We pray, Lord God, that you would help all of us to, to consider, Lord, those who are lost, those who are hurting, those who need to know of your love. And we pray, Lord, that we would do everything in our power to follow you, the master fishermen, the master fisher of people. And I pray, God, that you would allow us to just become equipped and to be ready for those opportunities as they come to share your gospel to this lost and hurting world, Father. I pray that you encourage each and every one of us and help us, Lord, inspire us to find ways, Lord, where we can continue to influence our family members and our, our, our friends and our co-workers, Lord Jesus, to lead them to you. And we pray, Lord God, that you would just continue to empower each and every one of us to, be, to just be influencers of those around us, and to lead people into that relationship with you. I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. Amen.